After reciting the Tashahud Ta'awz and Surah Al-Fatiha, Hazrat Khalif Masih V, Ayyadahullah Ta'ala bin Islaziz stated, Accounts relating to the expeditions against the apostates and rebels during the era of Hazrat Abu Bakr Siddiq anhu were being narrated. In this regard, the ninth expedition was being mentioned, which took place in Bahrain. Further details of Hazrat Allah bin Hadrami mobilizing his army towards Hutum are as follows. It is recorded that Hazrat Allah sent an order to Hazrat Jarud to take the tribe of Abdul Qais in order to confront Hutum and to set up camp in the neighborhood area of Hajar. Hence, Hazrat Allah took his army in order to fight Hutum and set up camp in this area. Aside from the people of Darin, all idolaters gathered around Hutum. Likewise, all the Muslims rallied around Hazrat Allah bin Hadrami Both armies dug trenches ahead of them. They would cross the trenches daily, attack the enemy, and then return from the battle and cross the trenches again. The battle was fought in this manner for one month. During this time, one night, the Muslims heard a great hue and cry emanating from the enemy camp. Hazrat Allah said, Is there anyone who can investigate the actual state of the enemy? Hazrat Abdullah bin Hazaf replied, I will go and perform this task. After returning, he said, Our enemy is intoxicated and is uttering complete nonsense in this state. They are the ones creating this noise. When the Muslims heard this, they immediately launched an attack on the enemy. They penetrated their camp and started killing them fearlessly. The enemy ran towards their trenches, some of whom fell in and perished, whereas others remained safe. Some of them became fearful and several were either killed or captured. The Muslims seized all of the belongings in their camp. Those who were able to escape could only do so with the items they had with them. 
among those who managed to flee was Abjur. Out of fear, the state of Hutam was such that he appeared lifeless. He advanced towards his horse, by which time the Muslims had already entered the camp of the idolaters. Although he was still heavily intoxicated, Hutam escaped from the Muslims and was about to mount his horse. As soon as he placed his foot in the stirrup, it snapped, and as Ghais bin Asim killed him. After seizing everything in the camp of the idolaters, the Muslims crossed their trenches and pursued them. Hazrat Qais bin Asim came close to Abjur, but Abjur's horse was stronger than that of Hazrat Qais. He became anxious lest he would escape from him. Hence he struck his spear into the back of Abjur's horse and wounded it. Nevertheless, it is recorded that Abjur managed to escape. In one narration, it is recorded that Hazrat Qais struck Abjur's head and that it pierced his helmet. Following this, Hazrat Qais struck him again in such a manner that it left him bleeding heavily. The following morning, Hazrat Allah distributed the spoils of war among those that participated in the battle, and those that demonstrated particular bravery during the battle were given the valuable clothing of the leaders that were killed. This included Hazrat Afif bin Mundir, Hazrat Qais bin Asim, and Hazrat Thumama bin Athal. Among the garments that were given to Hazrat Thumama was a valuable black printed cloak belonging to Hutam, which Hutam used to wear and strut around with pride. Hazrat Abu Bakr was informed of the success of this expedition. Hazrat Allah wrote to Hazrat Abu Bakr informing him of the defeat of those in the trenches and how Zaid and Muhammad killed Hutam. He also wrote in the letter, Thereafter, Allah the Blessed and Mighty ensured that our enemy's judgment became clouded. He took away all their might by way of the wine which they were drinking that day. We infiltrated having crossed the trenches and found them to be intoxicated. We slayed them all save a few. Thus Allah disposed of Hutam. Hazrat Allah gained control of Hajar and the surrounding areas. But many of the local Persians remained in opposition to the new government. They would often try to strike fear in them by spreading the news that the Medanite government in Hajar will at any moment be overthrown and that Mafruq Shaybani was bringing the armies of his people from Taglib and Namir. News of this reached Hazrat Abu Bakr, so he wrote to Hazrat Allah, stating, If after investigation it turns out to be true that the Banu Shaban bin Tha'alaba, whose leader was Mafruq, was planning to launch an attack upon you, 
and that the mischief-making people are spreading this news, then in order to punish them, you must send the army to destroy them and cast fear into those tribes behind them in a manner whereby they will no longer have the courage to raise their heads again. The apostates gathered in Darin. In relation to this, some historians have written that the battle of Darin took place during the caliphate of Hazrat Abu Bakr However, some historians have noted that the battle of Darin took place during the time of Hazrat Umar. In any case, the apostates gathered at this place. Darin was an island in the Persian Gulf, situated a few miles away from Bahrain. Christian families had settled there. Having been routed by Hazrat Allah, a large part of the defeated rebels who escaped boarded ships to Darin, whilst others returned to their own tribes. Hazrat Allah bin Hadrami wrote to the people of the Bakr bin Wail tribe who remained Muslims to confront them. Hence, he ordered Hazrat Utayba bin Nuhas and Hazrat Amr bin Abdul Aswad to remain there and to keep a lookout from every direction to face the apostates. He ordered Hazrat Misma to himself go forth and confront the apostates. He also ordered Hazrat Khasafa Temi and Hazrat Muthanna bin Hartha Shebani to go and confront the apostates. Hazrat Muthanna bin Hartha played a vital role in extinguishing the fire of apostasy in Bahrain. He supported Hazrat Allah bin Hadrami with his army and headed north from Bahrain. He gained control over Katif and Hajar. He continued in this mission until they overcame the Persian army and their personnel who supported the apostates in Bahrain. In order to confront the apostates, the local people who remained firm upon Islam joined the army of Hazrat Allah bin Hadrami. They continued north along the sea coast, and when Hazrat Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu inquired about Hazrat Muthanna bin Haritha, Hazrat Qais bin Asim said, He is not some unknown, of an unknown background or a dishonorable person. He is Muthanna bin Haritha Shebani. Thus, Hazrat Muthanna bin Haritha held the positions and kept watch on all routes in order to stop the apostates. Some of the apostates repented and accepted Islam, which was accepted of them, whilst others refused to repent, persisting in their apostasy, and so they were refused permission to return to their homelands. 
They therefore returned on the path where they came from until they reached Darin by boat. In this manner, Allah gathered them all in one place. Hazrat Allah was still in the army of the idolaters when Bakr bin Wail came, who he had written letters to. The reply of those letters were received and it became clear that they would follow the commandments of Allah and act in accordance to it. When Hazrat Allah learnt of this positive news, i.e. that they were Muslims and were not going to rebel or fight, and he was convinced that after his departure, the people of Bahrain will not face any untoward incidents. He said that all of the Muslims should head towards Darin. And thus he invited them to join them on the expedition to Darin. The details of this incident, which are about to be presented, and what has been narrated in the accounts relating to the way they crossed the sea, seems to be implausible. It could be possible that there is some truth to certain parts of the incident, whereas other parts of the account have been exaggerated. But if there is some truth to this, then what is the explanation? I will expound on this later. Nonetheless, it is mentioned that the Muslims did not have any boats with which to cross over to the island. Upon this, Hazrat Allah bin Hadrami radiallahu anhu gathered the people and addressed them saying, Allah has gathered the various troops of Satan and pushed the war up to the sea. God has demonstrated his signs for you on land. And now it is so that you may also witness them in the sea. So head towards your enemy and advance in a way you cut right through them because Allah has gathered them in one place for you. They all replied, By God, we shall do this. Having witnessed the miracle of the Valley of Deha, until we are alive, we will not be scared of them. This narration has been mentioned in At-Tabari. The miracle which has been mentioned before was where even the camels belonging to the Muslims that had run away returned to them and a spring gushed forth. They made reference to this incident stating that they had witnessed that already and now they will witness the miracle of walking on water. Then Hazrat Allah and the Muslims walked from this place up to the sea. Hazrat Allah and his comrades were beseeching God by reciting Ya Arhamar Rahimeen, Ya Kareem, Ya Halim, Ya Ahad, Ya Samad, Ya Hay, Ya Muhyil Maut, Ya Hayu, Ya Qayyum, La ilaha illa anta, Ya Rabbana. Meaning, O most merciful of those who show mercy, O benevolent one, O most forbearing, O God who is one, the independent and besought of all the living and the one who grants life to others and those who are dead. O God, who is living and grants life to others, the self-subsisting and self-sustaining, there is none worthy of worship except you, O our Lord. Nonetheless, it is narrated that Allah told all members of his army to recite this prayer and to put their mounts in the sea. 
Thus, following suit of their commander-in-chief, Hazrat Allah bin Hadrami, the Muslims mounted their horses, donkeys, camels and mules and entered the sea. And owing to the power of God, they crossed the gulf without any harm. It seemed as though they were walking on soft sand on which water had only been sprinkled so that the feet of the camels did not sink. Nothing of the Muslims was lost in the sea. It is mentioned that a small bundle of the Muslims was lost, but that was picked up by Hazrat Talha. Nonetheless, it is mentioned in narrations that they crossed from the shore to Darain, which usually would be crossed by boat over a period of one day and one night. Yet this army crossed it in one day in a very short space of time. This is the explanation of the incident as mentioned in Tariq al-Tabari. However, some contemporary scholars give an explanation to the crossing of the sea in the following manner, that it is possible that it was a time of low tide in the Persian Gulf and that the account or that the accounts have been exaggerated. It is possible that the Muslims managed to procure boats from the local residents and using them they managed to cross the sea. Nonetheless, there is no mention of this in the narrations. Different people have quoted this narration and have mentioned the crossing of the sea. Regardless, there is no doubt that the Muslims reached Darin. How they reached there, Allah knows best. With regards to miracles in general, in his commentary of the Holy Quran, Hazrat Muslim anhu has written a fundamental principle which can serve as a guide for this, which was in relation to the incident of Prophet Moses, peace be upon him. I will mention that incident. Hazrat Muslim has written about the splitting of the sea during the journey of Moses, peace be upon him, which has been recorded in the Holy Quran. Expanding on this incident, Hazrat Muslim states, the circumstances surrounding the incident as mentioned in the Holy Quran is that the Israelites were making their way towards the Holy Land when the army of Pharaoh caught up with them. Upon seeing them, the Israelites became apprehensive that they will now certainly be caught. However, Allah the Almighty bestowed solace upon them through Moses and informed him to strike his staff in the sea, which resulted in a path being created in the sea. They managed to cross using it. The water on both sides appeared to them as huge mountains. Pharaoh's army chased after them. However, after the Israelites had crossed over safely, the tide came in, as a result of which the Egyptians drowned. He further writes, In order to understand this incident, it is important to understand that according to the Holy Quran, all miracles are from God and no human has a hand in it, nor the power to alter it. Thus, Moses lifting his staff and striking it in the sea was symbolic. It was not the case that the staff of Moses had any power to control the tide of the sea. Similarly, it should be remembered that there is no instance in the Quran which mentions that the sea was split into two parts, through which Moses passed through. Rather, in relation to this, 
the Qur'an uses two words. One is falaqa and the other is infalaqa, which means to become distant or separated. Therefore, the wording of the Holy Qur'an used in relation to this incident proves that at the time the Israelites crossed, the sea separated, meaning that it became distant from the shore, and owing to the dry land underneath, the Israelites managed to cross. This is often witnessed on sea shores. Thus, it is written in the life of Napoleon that when he invaded Egypt, he descended into the Red Sea at low tide with his army, and whilst they were crossing it, the tide began to come in, and he managed to escape with great difficulty. The miracle in this incident, i.e. the incident of Moses, was that Allah the Almighty ensured that the Israelites reached the sea when the tide was low. And as soon as Prophet Moses raised his hand, the water began to recede upon the commandment of Allah the Almighty. However, when the army of Pharaoh entered the sea, they were faced with such extraordinary hurdles that the pace of his army's pursuit of the Israelites slowed down greatly. The army of Pharaoh was still in the sea when the tide began to rise, causing the enemy to perish. The sea continuously experiences a low and high tide, and thus at times the water recedes a great deal from the edge of the shore, and at other times covers the land. The parting of the sea was in fact in relation to this very phenomenon of high and low tide. When Prophet Moses passed through the sea, the tide was low and the water had gone away from the shore. Pharaoh arrived afterwards and owing to the fact that he had left at least one day after Prophet Moses, he marched towards the sea and by that time Prophet Moses had crossed most of the dry land that had emerged out of the sea. Upon seeing them crossing the sea, Pharaoh quickly took his chariots into it. However, the wet sand proved to be fatal for him and his chariots began to get stuck in it. It took so long to cross that the time for the high tide approached and the water began to rise. Now both scenarios were difficult for him. They could neither go further ahead nor turn back. Consequently, the sea engulfed them from all sides and he as well as many of his companions perished at sea. Since it was a time for the high tide, and the water was rising towards the shore, the water pushed their bodies towards the land. In any case, the Muslims also managed to somehow reach Darim. And as I mentioned, it is possible that they also experienced a similar incident of the high and low tide phenomenon. Upon reaching Darim, an extremely intense battle ensued between the Muslims and the rebel apostates and all of the rebels were killed. Not a single person escaped who could even relay the news of what had transpired. The Muslims captured their women and children as prisoners and also seized their wealth. The horse riders were given 6,000 dirhams, while the foot soldiers were given 2,000 dirhams as their share from the spoils of war. It took an entire day for the Muslims to reach them from the coast as well as engage in battle with them. Upon defeating them, they all returned. With regards to the incident of Hazrat Thumama bin Uthal's martyrdom, it is written that Hazrat Allah bin Hadrami brought everyone back, except for those who desired to remain there. 
Hazrat Umama bin Uthal was also among those who returned. Abdullah bin Hazaf relates that they were gathered at a water spring of the Banu Qais bin Thalba, and the people of the tribe saw Hazrat Umama wearing the cloak belonging to Hutum. This was the same cloak that Hazrat Umama was given as part of his share from the spoils of war after Hutum was killed. The people of the tribe sent someone to inquire from Hazrat Sumama as to where he got the cloak from and whether he was the one who killed Hutum or was it someone else. This was because Hutum was their leader. The person went and inquired from Hazrat Sumama about the cloak and he told him that he received it from the spoils of war. He then asked whether he was the one who killed Hutum. Upon this, Hazrat Thamama said that he did not kill Hutum, although it was his desire to kill him. The person then asked Hazrat Thamama where he got the cloak from, and Hazrat Thamama replied that he had already told him that he received it as part of the spoils of war. This individual then returned to the people of his tribe and informed them of his conversation with Hazrat Thamama. Following this, they all surrounded Hazrat Thamama and alleged that he was the one who killed Hutum. Hazrat Thamama stated that they were lying and that he did not kill him. But nevertheless, he did receive Hutum's cloak in his share from the spoils of war. They replied that the individual who killed someone in battle is the one who then acquires his possessions as well. Hazrat Thamama explained that the cloak was not worn by Hutum, but was instead found on his mount or from among his provisions. However, the people continued to claim that he was lying and then martyred him. In relation to the 10th expedition that was sent against the apostate rebels, it is written that it was led by Hazrat Suwaid bin Nuqarrin. Hazrat Abu Bakr gave one flag to Hazrat Suwaid bin Nuqarrin and instructed him to go to Tehama in the region of Yemen. According to the lexical meaning of Tehama, it is also defined as intense heat and the lack of flow of the wind. Another meaning is low terrain. There is a strip of land with a very low terrain situated towards the southwest of Yemen and on the coast of the Red Sea, which is known as Tehama. The region consists of a series of mountains on a very low terrain of land. The northern border of Tehama was close to Makkah and the southern border was situated around 350 miles from the capital of Yemen, Sana'a. Tehama was a province in Yemen which comprised of many villages and towns. This was a description of the area of Tehama. In an introduction to Hazrat Suwaid bin Muqarrin is as follows. Hazrat Suwaid's father was Muqarrin bin Aiz and belonged to the Banu Buzayna tribe and his title was Abu Adi and it is also reported as Abu Amr. Hazrat Suwaid bin Muqarrin accepted Islam in 5 Hijri and participated alongside the Holy Prophet in the Battle of Khandak and all the subsequent battles. He was the brother of Hazrat Numan bin Muqarrin who achieved great feats in the battles against the Persians. Among the historical records, there are no further details mentioned of Hazrat Suwaid bin Nuqarrin's expedition towards Tehama 
and fighting against the apostates. However, the circumstances and incidents of the people of Tehama who apostatized and rebelled is found in the books of history which have been mentioned as follows. After Hajjatul Wada in 10 Hijri, the Holy Prophet appointed various people to collect zakat in the region of Yemen. The Holy Prophet divided the region of Yemen into seven areas and appointed Tahir bin Abu Hala in Tehama. Apart from some Arabs of ordinary standing, two prominent tribes dwelled there, Ak and Ashar. It is written in Tariq al-Tabari that Hazrat Atab bin Usid and Hazrat Usman bin Abulas were among the first people to inform Hazrat Abu Bakr that the apostates in their area had launched an attack against the Muslims. As mentioned previously, that these people did not just merely apostatize, but they would go on to attack and fight against the Muslims. And the same situation was taking place there as well. Hazrat Atab sent his brother Hazrat Khalid to crush the rebellion of the people of Tehama. In Tehama, a large group from among the Banu Mudlij tribe, as well as various tribes from Khuza'a, Ganana, had become apostates and gathered to fight against the Muslims under the leadership of Jundub bin Salama, who belonged to the people of Banu Shunub, which was part of the Banu Mudlij tribe. The two armies clashed, and Hazrat Khalid bin Usid defeated the apostates and they all dispersed, and many of them were killed. Most people who were killed belonged to the Banu Shanub, and after this incident, they were left with very few in number. Through this incident, they were also able to eradicate the rebellion from the area of Hazrat Atab, and Jundub fled from there, but later re-entered the fold of Islam. According to one narration, after the demise of the Holy Prophet وسلم, the tribes of Ak and Ash'ar were most fierce in their rebellion in the area of Tehama. The details of this are that when these tribes received news of the Holy Prophet's demise, various people from among them gathered together along with the tribe of Khazm. They set up camp in Alab which was towards the coast. They set up their camp in Alab, and all those soldiers who did not serve under any commander also joined them. Alab is a place situated between Makkah and the coast, where Ak tribe resided. Hazrat Tahir bin Abi Hala informed Hazrat Abu Bakr of the development and left in order to crush the rebellion. He informed Hazrat Abu Bakr about his departure as well. Along with Hazrat Tahir was Masruq al-Aqi and those people from the Aq tribe who did not become apostates. They reached Alab where a fierce battle ensued and Allah the Almighty granted them victory over the enemy. The Muslims killed them with ease. The stench from the dead bodies spread across far and wide and Allah granted the Muslims a magnificent victory. Whilst mentioning the events that took place in Tehama, a historian writes, The first and foremost on the list of those who suppressed the tide of rebellion in Tehama, the homeland of the tribes of Ak and Ashur, was Tahir bin Abi Hala, 
who was appointed as the governor of Tihama on behalf of the Holy Prophet Then Hazrat Abu Bakr instructed Ukasha bin Thaw to settle in Tihama and gather its residents and await further instructions from him. At the time of the demise of the Holy Prophet Hazrat Ukasha was acting as the governor of two regions of Hadramaut, namely Sikasik and Sukun. Hazrat Abu Bakr sent Jalil bin Abdullah Najli back to the tribe of Najli to gather those among his nation who were firm upon Islam and fight against those who had become apostates. Furthermore, they were also instructed to go to the tribe of Khasm and fight against the apostates there. Jazir set off on his expedition and then fulfilled the instructions given to him by Hazrat Abu Bakr. Only but a few people came to challenge him. He killed most of them and the rest fled and scattered. Currently, I am speaking about the expeditions that took place. In the future, God willing, I will continue from the 11th expedition. At this time, I would like to make mention of some deceased members. Among them are two youths from Burkina Faso. On the evening of 11th June, the Dori region in which they resided was attacked by extremists. Many people were killed as a result, including our two Ahmadi Khuddam, who were working in their shop at the time. Bullets were fired and they were martyred on the scene. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. One of them was Diko Zakaria, who was 32 years of age. In the Dori region, he had the opportunity to serve as regional guide of Majid Khuddam al-Ahmadiyya. He also enrolled in Madrasatul Hifs in Ghana to memorize the Holy Quran. He studied there for some time and then returned. He was always prepared to render services to the Jamaat. He would always answer the call to serve and present himself. He was very regular in offering his five daily prayers. He also regularly offered voluntary prayers and at the Hajjad prayer. He would immediately give the alms for his monthly income and for any other income he received. He truly loved the Jamaat and Khilafat and listened to the Friday sermons on a regular basis. He also enjoyed viewing other programs on MTA. The local missionary there says that he ardently desired to meet the Khalifa of the time and eagerly awaited the moment that he could do so. The Mualim there has written to me that he was an exemplary Khadim. He is survived by his wife, two daughters and one son. The second martyr is Diko Musa Sahib who was 34 years of age. At the time, he was guide Majid Khutanamdi of his local chapter, Sitinga. He was most active in participating in all the Jamaat events in his local chapter and would encourage others to participate as well. He was regular in offering the prayers and giving alms. 
There was no mosque in his local chapter and so he was trying to locally build a shaded area where prayers could be offered. He also wrote letters to me regularly. He would host and entertain anyone who has travelled there from the capital. He would accompany them and help them in their work. He is survived by two wives and three daughters. May Allah the Almighty grant them forgiveness and show them mercy and elevate their status. In regards to both of these martyrs, the Amir of the Jamaat writes, Both these Khudam were the brothers of our local missionary, Diku Ahmed Buryama Sahib, who is in charge of Radio Ahmadiyya in Dori at the moment. Ahmadiyya started in the family with their father Ibrahim Bunti Sahib, who was a very sincere and passionate member who would invite others to the path of Allah. He was also previously the Zaim of Majlis and Sarla in Dori and passed away in 2011. The Amir of the Jamaat further writes for prayers for the terrorist attacks that have been taking place in Burkina Faso since 2015. The northern region of the country has seen great destruction. More than two million people have been displaced from their homes. May Allah the Almighty establish peace there. The social and political climate of the world today is increasing the chances of terrorism. Only Allah the Almighty can bestow His mercy upon mankind and grant them wisdom. The second mention is of Muhammad Yusuf Baloch Sahib, son of Ibn Nurum Khan Sahib from the village of Sadiqpur in Umarkot district of Sindh. He also passed away a few days ago. Very to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. He is a Baloch and originally from Dera Ghazi Khan, which was also his birthplace. His family accepted Ahmadiyyat through the efforts of Hazrat Mulana Ghulam Rasul Rajiki Sahib in 1934. After the establishment of Pakistan, he migrated to the land acquired under the Tariq Jadid scheme, namely Sadiqpur in Umarkot. He also resided in Rabwa for approximately six years and served as a caretaker for the mosque in his area. By the grace of Allah, he was also a Musi. He is survived by his wife, seven sons, and four daughters. One of his sons, Shabir Ahmed Sahib, is a missionary serving in Ivory Coast. Due to serving as a missionary in the field, he was unable to attend the funeral of his father. The deceased also has two grandsons who are also serving as missionaries. His son, Shabir Sahib, who is a missionary, writes, He possessed many good qualities. Ever since our childhood, we observed him to be regular in offering the Hajjad prayers. Every day following the Fajr prayers, he would recite the Holy Quran aloud. His love for Khilafat was boundless. He further states, Whenever I would visit my home, he would call me and tell me to remember two things from him, to always remain loyal to Khilafat and to duly fulfill my life dedication. He further says, He was very hospitable. He would bring people he met outside to his home. Many people from among the Jamaat, including Hindus, came to offer condolences for him and spoke very highly of him. 
They said that it was as if their father has passed away because he would offer immense help to the poor. The third mention is of Mubarza Farooq, a waqfi noor from Rabba, who is the daughter of Farooq Ahmed Sahib. She too passed away recently. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. When she was 11 years old, she touched a high-tension electrical cable, which caused both of her arms to become paralyzed, resulting in both of them having to be amputated. Despite this condition, she never gave up hope. She continued her education. First she practiced writing by holding a pen in her mouth, and then she would practice writing by holding a pen between both her elbows. Thus, in a matter of months, she began writing very neatly. She continued her education, and after some time, this family moved to Rabwa, where she further continued her education. She obtained her BA degree in 2013 with good grades, after which she obtained her master's in Arabic from Talim islam College. She served in the Tahirat Institute for some time in her capacity as a Vakfinol. She learned the Holy Quran with correct pronunciation and its translation and would always obtain 100% marks in this subject. She would also hold classes in her local area for learning the translation of the Holy Quran. She is survived by her parents, two brothers and two sisters. May Allah the Almighty grant her forgiveness and mercy and grant her parents patience and forbearance. The next mention is of respected Anzamana Batara Sahib, who was a local missionary of the Ivory Coast in the area of Masadogo. He too passed away recently. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. Missionary in charge Sahib there writes, he was of simple nature, regular in offering prayers and keeping fast, unobtrusive, devoted to prayer, virtuous and a pious elder. He offered a great deal of voluntary prayers and was regular in keeping voluntary fasts every Monday and Thursday. Many of his prayers would be answered. He had profound love for Khilafat. He was an excellent missionary. He accepted Ahmadiyyat in 1997 after seeing a dream. In the dream, he found himself in a forest and he was going towards a village called Nasiyan. He was holding a sword in order to clear the path and he recited the Kalama aloud as he did so. He says, after seeing this dream, one day he learned that an Ahmadi missionary named Umar Muaz Sahib had come to Nasiyan in order to preach. He too went to Nasiyan and upon hearing the message of the Jamaat, he pledged allegiance and said that this was the very message which Allah had directed him to accept through his dream. And so he had to strive to get to that village where he would receive the message of the faith. In any case, a short while after accepting Ahmadiyyat, he devoted his life and became a local missionary and began serving the Jamaat. When a civil war broke out in the country in 2002, 
Communication with the Murkas could not be maintained from where he was. However, the local missionary maintained communication with the village he was in and the surrounding Jamaat and continued the work of educating and the moral training of the members of the Jamaat, irrespective of circumstances, and kept in touch with the Murkas. Similarly, in his village, he built a mosque in his home from where he could conducted the work of tending to the education and training of members of the Jamaat. He would also undertake long journeys to partake in programs organized at a national level. In 1998, he had the opportunity of attending Jalsa Salana in the UK. He was blessed to meet Hazrat Khalif Dhamsi, the fourth Rahimahullah, and also had the opportunity of being present in a French Mulakat program on MTA with Hazrat Khalif Dhamsi, the fourth Rahimahullah, which made him very happy and would tell people that this meeting was the most beautiful moment of his life, which he could not express in words. He met me in 2004 when I visited Burkina Faso. He said that this, his meeting with me was because of the fact that he had been granted a new life and that it was because of my visit that Allah the Almighty bestowed his blessings upon him, the bounties of which he was reaping. He said, Two months earlier, he had been severely ill to the extent that his family thought that those were his last moments. At the time, he saw me in a dream and saw me running my hand over his head. And he says that within his dream, he felt as if the entire sickness was leaving his body. He says that when he woke up, it so happened that the illness had disappeared and his health was restored. In any case, when I was visiting there, he asked me to physically fulfill what he had seen in his dream and moved his head forward so that I may pass my hand over it and was very happy upon this. He had a relationship of complete loyalty to Khilafat. And he would tell others that the life which he had was only so that he may serve the faith and that he would spend his remaining life doing so, an oath which he fulfilled. He lived to the age of 94 and was active and healthy until his last day. Despite his old age, he would go on tours of neighbouring Jamaats on his own. He met me a second time as well in 2008 when I went to Ghana. He also went there and took part in the Jubilee Jalsa upon which he was very happy. Bendogo Shahid Sahib, who is a missionary, says he had a special love for missionaries from Pakistan. He would meet them with great humility and treated them with respect and honour. He was always at the forefront of offering financial sacrifices and regularly offered his chanda. He says, when I went to visit his village this year at the end of January, the local missionary told me that he was departing this year. I asked him whether he was travelling somewhere. He replied, saying that he would depart from this world because he was very happy this year. The missionary says, He then said 
that he spent his entire life working for the sake of Allah. He had firm conviction in Allah the Almighty and was going to him to get his salary. A week before his passing, he told his family that he had a week-long contract remaining with Allah the Almighty. He says, On the next Friday, a week later, he woke up in the morning and as per his routine, before the Tahajjud prayer, he performed the ablution. He had just completed his ablution when he went and met his Creator after he felt dizzy and fell. Hence, there are also such selfless people filled with loyalty and sincerity residing in far-off countries who Allah the Almighty has granted to the community of the Promised Messiah and they are spreading the message of Islam to the world. May Allah the Almighty continue to grant the Jamaat such selfless people who are ready to serve. He is survived by five sons and six daughters, all of whom are Ahmadis by the grace of Allah the Almighty. May Allah the Almighty grant them steadfastness and enable them to follow their father's footsteps. After the Friday prayers, I will lead the funeral prayers in absentia for all these members. Thank you.